a series on 1 John, and there's a slide that's going to come up, and uh, we're going to read it together. This is the text this morning, just one verse, and I'd like you to uh, read it with me if you would. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, nine. Let's do it again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Father, thank you. We have the awesome privilege to be here today. Thank you. Your love never gives up. Maybe someone needed to hear that this morning, that your love never gives up. And maybe someone here this morning is feeling like they've come to the end of their strength. And what a good thing that is to come to the end of our strength and to realize that, that now you move in with your strength. Help us to hear you very clearly this morning, Lord. Help us to hear what your Spirit is saying. And that we, as we conclude this service, may go forth from here with the gift of freedom in our hearts the gift of forgiveness, the gift of cleansing, and we'll know your peace in a powerful way. We pray for those this morning that are here that are hurting. We pray for those that have lost a loved one this week. Think of uh, Charlie Ward, uh, Lord, and uh, uh, his family. Charlie's lost his brother, his younger brother. We ask God your strength for Charlie. Uh, Lord, others are rejoicing in the birth of a little one, and we rejoice with them as well. So we open our hearts to hear you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in 1 John. We're in a series, uh, and as I said, 1 John 1, 9 this morning. Uh, but I, I need a moment before we get there to help us see why this verse is so critical. Freedom uh, has been a fleeting reality in our world since the beginning of time. I found a website, by the way, that allows you to plug in a date and see what was happening in the world at that time in terms of global conflict. You can plug in any date and you can see what was happening. War has been the norm for the world through the history of humanity. One war after another after another. As a country, we remember the wars that our nation has been part of. Fortunately, we have never ever suffered massive destructive conflict in our country on our soil. I don't know if we realize the blessing that that is, such as some nations have. World War I was an extremely bloody war that engulfed Europe from 1914 to 1919 with huge losses of life and uh, little ground lost or won, uh, fought mostly by soldiers in trenches. World War I saw an estimated 10 million military deaths and another 20 million wounded. Many thought that World War I would be the end to, uh, to end all wars, but in reality it just set the stage for the next World War. World War II was such a major conflict that it involved virtually every part of the world during the years 1939 to 1945. The war was in many respects a continuation 
after an uneasy 20-year hiatus of the disputes left by the First World War, 40 to 50 million deaths occurred in World War II, making it the bloodiest conflict as well as the largest war in all of history. Canada participated on the side of the United Nations in the Korean War, 1950 to 1953. 26,000 Canadians participated in the Korean War. 516 Canadians died in the conflict. And then, as all of us well know, Canada has been involved in the war in Afghanistan. The number of Canadian forces fatalities uh, from Afghanistan war is the largest since the Korean War. The last I could find uh, was the number 158 Canadian forces personnel have been killed in the war since 2002. The number might be a little bit higher. Freedom seems to be fleeting. The nature of our world is that the same conflict that we experience personally is also played out on the world stage in global conflict. Lewis Mead uh, wrote a book called The Art of Forgiving. He's uh, been a professor at uh, uh, Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena for over 25 years. He passed away a number of years ago. He tells an intriguing story about how we seem bound to our hatred and yet long for forgiveness and, and freedom. And, and he writes this. He says, I watched Michael Christopher's dramatic play, The Black Angel, a couple of years ago. It was about a former German Nazi general named Engel, who after 30 years in prison for war crimes, was trying to make a new beginning uh, by finding a place outside of a, a little village in France, building a cabin in the mountains for himself, uh, for he and his wife. He believed his past with all the tremendous, horrendous guilt, guilt was now forever behind him, paid by three decades in jail. Now he could forget it all. He had earned the right to make a new beginning. But there was a certain journalist by the name of Mario who could not forget. His family had been murdered at the start of the war when Engel's army massacred the entire village he lived in. No, Mario could not forget. For 30 years, he planned revenge. If the Nuremberg court could not sentence Engel to death, Mario would carry out his own sentence. Finally, after 30 years, the time had come. Mario had gone into the little village and he had stoked up hatred and fear in the minds of the village radicals. And he did his work well. For on that night, they were going to come up there as a mob to, king, to kill Engel and his wife and burn down their cabin. However, Engel's story contains some loose ends that the journalist had to tie up. The afternoon before the planned vengeance, Mario went to the cabin, identified himself to the shocked Engel, and began his inquisition. Mario probed Engel's story all afternoon and as he, as he explored Engel's soul, Mario's own soul began to change. Revenge began to taste sour in his mouth. And he changed his mind. 
He told the former Nazi general, they're going to come to you tonight and they're surely going to kill you. Come with me. I will save your life. I can get you out of here alive. And the general waited for a long minute before he answered. Finally, he said to the French journalist, I will go with you on one condition. Mario said, what's the condition? That you forgive me. No, no, he said, save you, I will. Forgive you, I cannot. Never. That night the villagers came as a mob. They burned the cabin to the ground and they shot Engel and his wife dead. The play left everyone there gasping for an answer to the question of forgiveness. What was it that General Engel wanted more badly than life itself? What was it that he needed so much that he would rather die than live without it? What was it that Mario did not have the power to give? And what is the miracle of forgiveness? It is desperately needed in every heart, friends. Maybe there's someone here today who's hanging by a thread because of this very thing of forgiveness and you need it desperately in your heart I want to say to you today you do not need to leave without it the people to whom the Apostle John wrote needed the forgiveness of God even in his day there were many who said no he didn't no he didn't no he didn't sin we've never sinned who me he says in verse 8, chapter 1, 1 John, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Even if they didn't acknowledge it, they needed the forgiveness of God to change their lives. John gives us two awesome promises in the first chapter. We talked about the first promise in verse 7 last week. But the promise in verse 9 is just as awesome. And I think most of us have gravitated to it over the years because we've needed these words to refresh our hearts if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let me play back to you three powerful words that move us towards freedom, allowing us to release our hearts from bondage. The first word is confession. If we confess our sins. Have you heard of what the word confess actually means? I mean, just the definition is a blessing in my life. It means to say the same thing. It means we agree with God about our sin. We acknowledge the reality of our sin and we say the same thing about it that God says. I mean, isn't that helpful? I mean... It is so meaningful to me that that's what it means to confess. It means to say the same thing that God says. I agree, God, that the things I were, was thinking and the things that I have been doing have not been your heart at all. I agree that I've been totally selfish. I'm thinking of me again. I agree with you, God. I say the same thing with you about my sin. I mean, what a contrast to the people in John's day who had no sense of agreement with God on their sin. They denied their sin. 
in fact, claimed to have never, ever sinned. Now, let me mention a couple of things that confessing is not. Confessing is not talking about sin. Confessing is not talking about sin. Quite a week in our country, eh? I, I, uh, I, I just have to... Uh, I don't really need to say a lot about what's happened on the Hill this week or what's happened in Toronto, the Senate scandal, the Toronto mayor episodes. Because most of our hearts have been really sad. You know, first we're angry, and then we get really sad about the things that, that happen in our country. Lots of commentary on the Hill, in the paper, on TV. So much so that if you're talking about sin... If, if, if just talking about it were confession, we would have lots of freedom. But the reality is we do not. Lots of talk about who scammed who, who smoked this, who aligned with gang members. Many, many words. And you know, it reminds us that celebrities race each other to the publisher with their secret sins. Their steamy manuscripts under their arm to uh, talk about their private gossip to a curious public that's not confession. That's marketing. Confession is not just talking about sin. Secondly, confessing sin is not the same as explaining it. I want to give you my side of the story and then you can make a decision on that and you can give me yours. But in the end, we're no closer together because we haven't agreed with God on the sin. We've explained it the best we can. We've told our side, but we haven't confessed. We haven't said the same thing that God said. The most important thing in confession is an acknowledgement of my responsibility. I can't say, well, the devil made me do it. Uh, I'd like to pawn it off on him, but that's not taking responsibility. No, I had a choice. It's not my mother. It's not her fault. It's not my dad. It's not his fault. It's not my childhood that's to blame. It's me. I have not confessed until I have acknowledged my responsibility. There's an enormous, erroneous view of confession around these days that says that believers are forgiven of only those sins that they confess. So what do you do if you're to die without having confessed every sin in your life? The finished work of Jesus completely covers all the sins of those who believe, including those that remain unconfessed. So if you're heading down the runway on a jumbo jet, white-knuckling it, and you're, you're not sure if all your sins have been confessed, you can have the confidence that if you've given your life to Christ and you're living in a relationship with Him, you don't need to fear that maybe you missed one or two on your list. This verse shouldn't be used like a mantra, saying a few words of confession going through our Protestant beads, looking back over the day. I can remember six times when I blew it. I better get it covered with 1 John 1, 9. And it becomes just a routine of spouting out words, but we're right back to routine without much change. No, we, we start the day. We start the day with a heart's desire to walk with God in the light. And we're in fellowship with Him all day long. And as we come to a fork in the road, we can say, Lord, 
here's a fork. And I've got to make a choice here. Help me to make a choice that follows you. And he will. But we're also very aware of our dark nature. We can choose wrong. We can go off in this pathway. And we do choose wrong. And we become selfish. And when we do, we can agree with God that our sin has been... That, that, that our sin has broken the fellowship and he brings us back into sweet fellowship with him again as we acknowledge our sin before him. Lord, I agree with you. I was living a two-kingdom life and I want to move back into a one-kingdom life. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If you know the life of David in the Old Testament, you know David had accomplished great things. His resume was awesome. His resume included great uh, success, but his resume also included great failure, devastating mistakes. He committed adultery and he covered it up by murdering someone. And in the process of covering it up, David was found out. But when he was found out, David discovered the power of this thing called confession. He agreed with God. He finally came to say the same thing. He wrote about this journey from confession to forgiveness in Psalm 32. And he writes, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are those whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. You know, we, we, we come to understand that even our physical health, our emotional health, is related to what we carry in our hearts in terms of unconfessed sins. And we're reminded of James chapter 5, which has a very pertinent word on the subject of confession. And it's always important to not take something out of context. So when you read chapter 5, especially this portion, it's a, it's a context about sickness. And James says, is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And then James says in verse 15, And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. I'm aware of the story of a pastor and his elders who was called to a hospital uh, to visit a lady. And uh, this lady was very sick. And when they arrived, the lady explained that she had been suffering from a very high fever for a long time. And the doctor simply couldn't diagnose it. Even her own husband, who was a doctor in the same hospital, could not diagnose what she had. And uh, this had been going on and on. And so she thanked the elders for coming. And, and they said, well, we've come to pray. We haven't come to diagnose a medical situation. That's for the doctors. But we can pray. So we will be happy to pray. And they quietly prayed. And some reached out their hands, you know, like we do when we pray for somebody. And someone touched her on the forearm and someone touched her on the shoulder and someone put their hand to her head and they prayed. And before long, they noticed that she was breathing very heavily. And she began to perspire a great deal. And she said, no, stop. Stop praying for me. 
She said, I just want to confess what's on my heart. And she said that you, uh, she began to explain uh, that as they were praying, that all of these things were bombarding into the front of her mind. And, and she began to explain that part of her life was a chamber of secrecy. And no one knew anything about it, the things that had happened in her life, not even her husband. And she said, as you've been praying, all of my past has just been coming right to the front. And she said, I know what I have to do. I have to deal with my sin. So the elders were encouraging to her and began to pray with her about the things that were binding her and the unconfessed sin in her life. And then after praying for her and saying goodbye, they went home. But what was astonishing to everyone was the fact that the very next day, she was released from the hospital. This woman, who was so sick, it was absolutely amazing. Her fever left her, and she recovered almost instantaneously. She had made things right with the individuals that she had wronged. She had agreed with God on those things in her life that were not right. And a remarkable healing took place. And that's the message of James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Why? So you may be healed. Unconfessed sin will make you sick. I really believe that to be true, that there are a number of God's people who are living with an illness whether that be a physical illness or an emotional illness or a spiritual illness. And it is because of unconfessed sin. Confess your sin to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. What a reminder to keep short accounts and where we have harmed another to make it right. So the first word is confession. The second word is forgiveness. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God has two responses to people who confess their sin, who say the same thing about their sin. The first response is forgiveness. God's forgiveness means that he no longer holds people's sins against them. He cancels their debt. You know, and there's a wonderful story in Matthew 18:27. And it's just a, a verse in the midst of a parable. And you probably know the parable. A servant owed a king millions of dollars. And he simply could not repay it. There was no way he could ever begin to repay his debt. And the king took mercy on the servant. It says he canceled the debt and let him go. He canceled the debt and let him go. And that's what forgiveness means. It means to cancel the debt and to let the person go. To forgive someone is to release them from their debt and their obligation. When someone forgives a loan, it means you no longer have to make payments on the loan. When God forgives your sin, it means you no longer need to pay for that sin. You don't need to punish yourself. You don't need to do penance. You're off the hook. So in our first John text, John urges people to walk in the light as he is in the light. Then he says, we will have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So come into the light where Jesus Christ is. And if you come into the light, you will meet yourself. 
first of all. You will see yourself with true perspective. And in the light, you will also meet him. So as you're in the light, simply stand in the open position and admit who you are. Agree with God and receive forgiveness. And the word forgiveness means literally to leave behind. Literally to abandon. And the promise to us from, God, from John is that God will forgive and he will leave behind our sins. Well, that's awesome. Come into the light. Stand in the open position and admit who you are. Agree with God about your sin and receive his forgiveness. Forgiveness is a costly gift because of that one word that John mentions in verse 7, the word blood. He gave his life blood. And that's the reason we have forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a transaction that happens in a courtroom. We signed and sealed this and you're forgiven. No, it's an event that happens at a cross. It is a very costly gift. A young man said to his pastor, I went out and sinned because I knew I could come back and ask God to forgive me. On what basis can God forgive you, the pastor asked. 1 John 1, 9 was the response, God's faithful and just. Those two words should have kept you out of sin, the pastor said. Do you know what it costs God to forgive your sin? And the words jolted him. Yeah, he said, I I guess I do know. I have been selfish. I know it cost Jesus his life. The promise here in 1 John 1, 9 is not a magic rabbit's foot. That we just pull out and say, well, that will cover my sin. He does forgive, but at a great cost. And the cost challenges our hearts. This is a costly grace. So the second word is forgiveness. We are forgiven. He cancels the debt. Our sins are behind. It is awesome. It is the cry of every heart to be forgiven. And today through Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross, we can be forgiven. And we're to celebrate that this morning as we gather around this table. As we take the bread and the cup. These are symbols of forgiveness. The broken body, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, all for the purpose of of our forgiveness. Forgiveness means to leave behind, to abandon. He remembers our sins no more. Wow. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Yes, and the third word is cleanse. God not only forgives us, but he also cleanses us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word purify could just as easily be translated cleanse. To purify something is to remove what doesn't belong there. To cleanse something is to get rid of the dirt. Get rid of the dirt. I don't know, you might have seen the commercial for a laundry detergent. A middle-aged mother has secretly borrowed her daughter's stylish new blouse to go out with her friends. But while she's out on the town, she spills something on it that left an awful stain right in the center. Fortunately, she had this new detergent with ActiLift technology. 
With one wash, the stain was gone, the blouse was returned, and mother and daughter went on with a relationship that was unperturbed. Everything was fine, as if nothing had ever happened. Now, besides all the ethical implications of that commercial, if you look at it, the bottom line for Procter & Gamble, the manufacturer, is simply this. ActiLift removed the stain. God knows every minute detail of our lives. He knows all the stains. He looks at all of us. He knows the stains. Nobody's fooling him for a second. But he's willing and able not only to forgive us for what we've done, but to cleanse us from it. The great hymn of the past says, Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it. Jesus washed it white as snow. Forgiveness releases us from our guilt, but cleansing removes our shame. Forgiveness takes care of the past, but cleansing makes possible our future. Friends, this is the best news in the world. There's no reason for anyone to leave today without two of the best gifts in the whole world. The very best. The gift of forgiveness and the gift of cleansing. Forgiveness for our past and cleansing for our future. The stain of sin is removed through the powerful detergent of the blood of Jesus. The blood that purifies us from all sin. And then there is freedom. There is freedom. To have freedom in your heart outstrips everything else. It's the greatest gift in the world. Freedom through forgiveness and cleansing. And you, we, have an opportunity to respond to the gift that we've received. The gift of freedom through forgiveness. We, we, you can remember this morning. And you can say thanks. Thanks for these amazing gifts. So we're going to take a piece of bread and we're eat, and going to eat it and likewise we'll take some juice and, and drink it. We do this almost monthly at TCC. This is a, our way to remember the ultimate sacrifice of our Savior Jesus Christ. But not just that he died, but that he was raised to life by the Father. And this is the resurrection. He alone has the authority to forgive our sins because of who He is. The one who is faithful and just. The one who is the Son of God. So this is a timely opportunity to agree with God as to what's happening in your life. To be honest. If you feel distant and you feel removed from God and there is a cloud of sin that separates, you can agree with God on this. And his heart and his desire is to restore you and whisper in your heart today, I love you and I want to walk in fellowship with you and I want you to walk in fellowship with me. And he will bring the fullness of his forgiveness to your life. And if your life has been stained by sin, his blood will be like a detergent. It will purify you. It will cleanse you. So humbly invite him to do that in your life today. And if you're not ready to make such a committed response to Jesus, then please feel free to allow the elements to pass. So I'm going to invite our servers to come forward as we distribute the elements.
and we will serve the bread first and just please take it and then hold it and then the cup will be served and we will partake together.